Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Really long passage and giving us also some comedic relief. Hopefully I don't have the same issues up here. (laughs) Um, Morning, everyone. Surprise. Surprise. (laughs) Uh, My name is Connor. I've been at this church for about two years now. Some of you, I mean, I think most of you know me. Most of you feel like family to me. I'm super thankful for everything that y'all do and super honored to be in front of you. Uh, A little bit about me and where I'm from. Obviously, you could tell that I'm not South African. Yes, Cape Town. Yeah. Some far off place. Uh, but I'm actually from a small town called Port Lavaca, Texas. So a little small town, country boy at heart, uh, moving here to South Africa and getting to explore a big world, really. Uh, moved here, like I said, two years ago through a program called CO Lead where I get to work for campus outreach and get to go on the college campus here at Tux at UP and get the honor to share the gospel with students and to walk alongside them through life and do discipleship with them and help them grow in leadership. Um, I have no wife uh, like all these other guys. as It's been a hot topic today, but... Uh, I do have an amazing girlfriend. She's here. Uh, she is amazingly sweet. Her name is Maddie. Um, she's a huge encouragement to me, and above all, she keeps me humble, and she'll be one of the first people to tell me how I actually do today. Um, <laughs> she won't lie to me like the rest of you who try to <laughs> spare my feelings. Um, so yeah, this is my first time preaching in, in front of all of you and in front of an entire church even, um, but I'm super stoked and honored and Pray that I just, the Lord would lead me and that he would uh, help you guys to see what I see in this text. So I want to pray one last time in light of that and prepare our hearts for this. Lord, thank you for just this honor to be in front of your people, to be amongst your people. Lord, there is no separation here, Lord, that we are all here as believers who as broken people in need of the gospel, in need of you. We are all here to, to listen to your word, to hear your word, to read your word, and to pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate amazing and wonderful things about you, the God, the creator, the king of the universe. And so, Lord, Spirit, just be with us today. Help us to to see what you want us to see and to take away anything that is from me or from anything that isn't you. And so, God, help us, be with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, I have a question. What is the most difficult or courageous thing you have ever had to do? So maybe it was stepping up and in a difficult conversation. Maybe someone, you have this big conflict with somebody, and you have to be the bigger person in that moment. Or maybe it was pressing on for something you believed in very strongly about, um, despite any cost that it took to do that. 
What did you have to sacrifice in order to press on? Uh, for me, it would definitely be <laughs> moving here to South Africa. After I graduated college, the CO guys there who led me to faith asked me, would you consider coming on staff with us? And I quickly but firmly said, no thanks, dude. That's not for me. Uh, I was the nature guy who was going to move to Colorado, pursue a degree, a master's degree in wildlife biology, and kind of live up in the mountains and care for animals and ecosystems. Uh, I know, yes, hard to believe, yeah. (laughs) Doesn't seem like me at all. Um, But during my time there, God slowly changed my heart. During my time in Colorado, I began to care less and less about particular parts of nature and more about people's eternities. Cared more about people's hearts. It got to the point where I couldn't ignore the scary and terrifying possibility that God was calling me to quit my current job and turn to do full-time ministry. This wrestle went on for about three months when I finally started to look at options and look at where could I continue to do this. And that's what led me to this opportunity to go overseas with CO Lead. At the time, it seemed like a pretty easy shift to me. Um, I knew CO well. I trusted their motives. I trusted what they do. But I did not realize the world of turmoil that I was about to subject myself to. The levels of doubt and fears that would be unlocked in making this decision just blew my mind. With each delay in coming here, whether it be because of COVID restrictions um, and each new role that I had to partake in, being partnered here at Red Door or being the only guy on our team for a amount of time or um, living alone for a while in my place in a, in a strange, strange world. Shout out to my roommate who is here. Thankful for him. Um, but it took a huge leap of faith every single time. So this was definitely the most courageous thing I've ever done. So the past few weeks, as we've been in Acts, we've seen how important it is to be led by the Spirit and to listen to its promptings, to test them against God's Word. The Spirit prompted Paul to make a return journey to Jerusalem, despite all the warnings from those around him of the hardships he would face when he was there. Last week, we discussed how difficult it can be to deal with conflicts, Paul had his allies, he had his enemies, he had these different people around him, and they were all playing their part in this drama that was unfolding in Jerusalem. And through the text, Reinhardt showed us how the gospel gives us a third way to deal with conflict. One that isn't just based on charging through or showing complete meekness and submissiveness, but one that views the situation with wisdom and chooses when to be shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. We see Paul implement this tactic again and again, even in the text today, but with little resulting success. Everywhere he's going, he's being denied. With how difficult his hardships are and how much he's having to sacrifice, question comes to my mind, what's keeping him going? What's giving Paul so much courage to continue facing these trials again and again and again? What gives you courage when all the shrewdness and innocence in the world doesn't seem to be enough to get you through whatever situation that you're in. Today's text forces us to look at our own struggles and shows us what it means to take courage in God. So to highlight Paul's sufferings and his rejections, 
and ask you, how would you respond to such blatant rejection? Okay, we begin today's text where we left off last week. Paul has been falsely accused by the Jews from Asia of defiling the temple by bringing Greeks into it, into this holy place. They also claim he's been teaching everyone to turn away from the law of Moses and to abandon their heritage altogether. What's interesting to see is that Stephen, who earlier in Acts, was accused of the same things in chapter 6, verse 13. They produce false witnesses against Stephen, saying, this man never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. Paul is now being accused of the same things that he approved Stephen's killing for. If anyone knows the basis of these accusations and how they are lies, it's certainly Paul. He uses this in his defense, but the people begin to riot against him, as they've done many times before. And soon, he says, God told him to bring the good news to the Gentiles. And at this, at this moment, the crowd cries in verse 22, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Despite Paul's past and good standing with the structure of the people, um, I mean, he was a Pharisee who studied under the big name of Gamaliel. Studying under him is like studying Greek philosophy under Plato or Socrates, or studying football under Messi or Ronaldo. I hope that's right. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, this is a big dude. They know that he holds weight because of it, but they reject him anyways. Paul then uses his shrewdness to get out of a beating with the Romans. They stretch him out to flog him, but just as they are about to flog him, he looks over and says, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen who has not been found guilty? And the centurion is taken aback, and he runs to his commander to tell him. And the commander is so surprised, he comes down, and he has to double-check, is he serious? Is this what he's saying? He's actually a Roman citizen? He asks him how he got his status. You see, there's only three ways for someone to become and get this Roman status. You receive it as a reward for an outstanding uh, service to Rome, like through battle or through a conquest. Or you could also buy it at a steep cost, like this commander did. Or, finally, you have to be born into a family of Roman citizens, which Paul is claiming here. Notice how Paul is so uniquely equipped for the situation that God has placed him in. God did not just choose Paul because he fit the profile, but he literally had been bred for this occasion. There is nothing that escapes God's design. God created each and every one of us. He knows exactly who we are. He knows our weaknesses, our failures. He knows every hair on our head. Though how often do we question whether God knows us when he places us into difficult and uncomfortable circumstances? How quickly do we doubt his goodness? We thank God, how did you give me a boss like this? He's younger than me, they're less equipped than me. Quite frankly, they're rude. Don't you think that I would be better suited for this role? Or what about when you have every qualification, but it still doesn't seem to work? God, I thought I knew everything there was to know about teaching. I was distinguished in every single class, in every single way at university. I received the top marks, but now that I'm in the job, hey, it's tough. It's too tough. Do you ever ask God why I can't get this? 
Why am I struggling so much in something that I've been trained to do? Paul was uniquely equipped to handle both the Jews and the Romans in this situation. We see it as he now goes before the council, the Jewish council and the commander, and gives his defense. After all the accusations, he keeps his cool and talks very respectfully to the counselor by calling them brothers. He says, My brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Where does this innocence get him? The high priest demands that they strike him. Paul loses it a bit in this moment and calls him a whitewashed wall. So you know the trend now. I've talked about this many, many times. I'm always saddened when somebody takes something, a beautiful piece of wood, and just paints white paint all over it. But you can imagine somebody, uh, as they take something off the side of the streets, or they take something that's been passed down, or something that's been sitting in a warehouse forever, and they just paint a, a thick layer of white paint over it. On the outside, it looks amazing, but, in, but underneath all of that, it has imperfections, holes, it's messed up. So that's what Paul is alluding to here. And he's calling the high priest a hypocrite. So he backtracks this statement when he actually finds out that he's a high priest. But so far, things aren't looking good for Paul in his defense before the council and with the commander. Innocence hasn't been working for him, so he turns to shrewdness. He sees that the council is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and decides, let me see what I can do here. He sees... Um, he, he reveals that he also was a Pharisee who holds on to the hope of the resurrection of the dead. So Paul uses this opportunity to allude to the resurrection and begin to share the gospel of Christ. He says in verse 6, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. All Paul has done in his ministry is proclaim that Jesus is the Christ who defeated the grave, defeated sin by resurrecting from the dead According to the same scriptures, this Jewish council holds so dear. Christ is the promised one, the Messiah they have been waiting for. This did not go against their Jewish heritage, but was deeply entrenched in it. In him alone we are saved and have new life, and one day we too will raise with him and dwell with him in glory forever and ever. Amen? And so the Sanhedrin repented and believed right there and realized their sin and began to follow Jesus. No, that's, that's not what happens. They argue amongst themselves and fight, and get, the fight gets so heated that the commander fears for Paul's life. So he sends his soldiers down to tear him away from the crowd, away from the council, and to take him to the barracks where he gets to sit and think about everything that has happened for at least the next 24 hours or so. Despite the spirits leading him there, despite him and all of his shrewdness and all the well-executed tactics and all of his relevant experience, He's flat out rejected. Put yourselves in Paul's shoes. How would you feel in this moment? Your entire life you have basically been prepared and trained for this moment. Whether you asked for it or not, pursued it or not, you've lived in between these cultures. You've lived each side. You know how to cater to each of them. You do it well. So much so that you're considered an expert in some of these areas. Paul's case, being trained as a Pharisee, you figured of all the people that you could convince, all the people that you could trust to understand you and to, to believe these things you were telling them, of all the people you would convince, it would be these people. But instead, again and again, they reject him. They deny you and even want to kill you. I imagine in this moment, Paul is 
The words in verse 22 are going through his head. Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Have you ever felt failure or rejection this extreme? So much it makes your stomach turn and your knees weak. You use every bit of knowledge, every bit of shrewdness and innocence, but it doesn't seem to work. Maybe you've experienced this at work, at school, or with your friends and family. Did it make you feel isolated and alone? Like the people you thought you could rely on for understanding and grace instead meet you with nothing but contempt and denial? What do you think of yourself in that moment? Maybe you think, ah, well, I did the best I could. Maybe you put the blame on them, saying it's their fault. They're not understanding me. I've done everything that I can. It's their fault they don't believe me. They don't see the efforts I'm putting in. It's a hard, soul-crushing place to be. There was a time that I had a terrible day here. Um, I've told this story before. There was a man, as I was in line at Woolworths, there was a, this guy who kept trying to talk to me. So often, people look at me and they, they, they see who I am and they often speak Afrikaans to me. <laughs> like, oh, this guy, he, he's Afrikaans for sure. Friki, hey. <laughs> um, so he's talking to me, and I, I'm, I'm kind of half-focused, half-somewhere else, and he's speaking to me, and so I just turned to him and was like, I'm sorry, sir, I don't speak Afrikaans. And he says, what do you think I'm speaking? <laughs> and so I realized he's been speaking English to me the whole time, but I couldn't understand him. So after that embarrassment, after that failure, then I go to the counter, and, to the till, and I'm trying to pay for what I'm there to pay for. And this lady keeps asking me all the, the 30 million questions when you go to the counter. Uh, do you have my school card? Do you have Woolies card? Do you have bags? Do you have plastics? Do you want to do lay-by? Do you want to... And then she just keeps asking me all the questions. And I'm like, just let me pay. Just please. I don't know what you're talking about. Just let me pay. Card, please. Um, and then I then go to campus... And I'm trying to talk with the students. I'm meeting with them again. Um, And I'm forgetting their names. I just met these guys the day before, a couple days before. It's guys that I've known even for quite a while. And I just can't seem to get it right that day. Everything was against me. And so I started to just feel like a failure. I started telling myself, I started buying into the lies and the devil tries to put on me, and I felt so dejected in that moment. So I tried to exhibit humility and understanding in every way that I could, but it just wasn't enough. I I felt that I was just starting to understand some of the culture. I was starting to get through the lines a little faster. I was maybe understanding the ladies at KFC when they're on the intercom trying to order through the drive-thru. I was starting to feel accepted, but I messed up. And instead of bringing yourself down, remind yourself of God's truth in these moments. That's what I want to talk about. Second point is, what does God make of these failures? In our minds, we constantly can bring ourselves down, but what does God say? What does God have to say in these moments? What does God have to say to Paul in here? I was not telling myself truth in that moment. I certainly didn't think God had anything nice to say to me. Listen when I say that I couldn't have been more wrong. These are the lies the, devils try, the devil tries to put in your head. He will use it to draw you further into yourself and convince you to rely on your own power, on your own efforts. 
He will draw you further from the God who does and says the most loving and amazing things and isolate you. Read verse 11. It says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So Paul's a tough guy. He's been through a lot, and he's going to go through a lot more still. But there's also times where the Lord comes in in his greatest times of crisis, his greatest need for strength, and comforts him. I want you to know the Lord is not far off. He's always near. It wasn't that he came near in that moment. It wasn't that he, was, he all of a sudden showed up. He had always been there. Though the devil lies to us and tries to convince us that God has turned his back on us, that he is far off, that he's far away. When everyone else rejects you, no matter what you do, when they say the earth would be better off without you, God comes near. They say that you aren't fit to live, and when this slowly wears away your heart and mind to the point that you start to believe it, when the darkness is all around, that it seems like there's nowhere left to go, no one else to turn to, Jesus is right there. He's not forsaken you and never will. Turn to him. Listen to him sweetly say, take courage. I am with you. I never left you. I pursued you. I pursued you to the grave and back. I lift you out of that place, out of the bondage of sin and shame. You were never meant to bear such burdens. You can't. You're right. You can't do it. You need me. This reminds us of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know these words. But then he gives a promise, and he says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. He even says that a helper will come to remind you, to remind us of these things. All that he has said, he will affirm who Christ is, and he'll lead you back to truth. This is the Holy Spirit. We can listen to his promptings and trust that he will not lead us astray. Once the Spirit is in us, it will never leave us or forsake us. So remember that God is not far off. He stands with us, waiting for us to turn to him and he will then restore us. Psalm 23, 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Take heart that the Lord is always at your side, ready to restore you. Secondly, notice Jesus' words to Paul. He didn't say like any of us would, well, that's just tough. That's just life. He didn't say you should have known better. You might have had him if you hadn't called him a whitewashed wall. No, the Lord didn't point out Paul's flaws. He didn't condemn him. He stood close and said, take courage. Take courage that the Lord, the God of the universe, is always at work orchestrating and sustaining all things. He wipes away all those lies you're telling yourself. All the things that bring you down. The lies the devil is constantly trying to convince you of. He beckons us, come to him. In his words, he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls here. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The God of all comforts comforts Paul in his greatest time of need. 
when no amount of skill is helping him, no matter what he does, the people turn against him. God comforts him with the words to take courage. Where do you need to hear these words this morning? Where in your life have you been listening to the lies someone else is telling you, or the lies that you're telling yourself? Heed the words of Christ. Stop listening to those lies and instead listen to his words to say, take courage. Thirdly, we see the Lord is not done. He will continue to send Paul onto Rome. Paul might be wondering, but how, Lord? How's this working? What's the point? These men don't believe a word I tell them. I barely get a word out before they order someone to strike me and to silence me. They want to kill me. Is there anything really getting done here? The writer doesn't tell us Paul's thoughts, and he doesn't show any hesitance on his part. If we were to look at ourselves, would we not ask these same questions? How often do we ask them? When we look at seemingly hopeless circumstances, we start to dictate to God how his plan needs to change. Lord, this isn't working. You need to be doing this. To our eyes, especially when we're in this dark place like this, in these dark thoughts, it seems like nothing is working. God says, no, no. Leave that to me. Continue to press on. I have plans that you do not see. One day, this Roman nation will crumble due to the work that I have begun in Christ. A long history of many great nations are being toppled down due to the rock that I have cut from my mountain. The rock of Christ. Nations will fall to it and nothing can thwart it. Nothing can stop it. Leave that to me. Continue forward. Take courage. There's even more that I have yet to do. Be used by God. Do not close your fist and dig in your heels when things get tough. The darkness is scary, no doubt. But moving with God is possible even in the darkest darkness. Um, Larry Crabb in his book, Men of Courage, says, Even when you don't know what to do, envision what God may want to see happen in these moments and move toward that vision with whatever wisdom and power God supplies you. There may be a lot that is still unknown to you, but also know there is no blunder big enough that you can do that would stop God's plans, that would throw them off the eternity that he has set. This isn't your story. This is God's story playing out in our everyday lives. It's a story of a great God using a frail but faithful man, Paul, to bring the gospel before kings. This is the last point I want you to see. Almost done here. God is steadfast in using our everyday circumstances to unfold his story. Notice how God continues to protect Paul and move him towards Rome. There's a group of men who have sworn to not eat anything. They're ready to die to kill Paul. They make a plan with the Jewish priestly council and lie in wait to ambush him. Forty men. They make a, by God's design though, Paul's nephew learns of this plot and brings it to Paul, who then sends him to the commander. Because the commander wants to gain favor with Paul for putting him, a Roman citizen, in chains and almost flogging him, stretching him out to be flogged, he gathers together 200 foot soldiers and 70 men on horseback to transport Paul safely 
to Governor Felix in, in Caesarea. God brings together 270 soldiers to combat the people's opposition of Paul spreading the message of the gospel. Are these God's soldiers? Are they for him? Are they for the work of the Lord? No. They didn't want to advance his kingdom. They didn't care. They, that wasn't their, their prerogative. But God used them for his own ends. God even uses the greediness of the commander to grant Paul greater freedoms in Caesarea. It is Paul to Governor Felix. The commander writes that Paul is a Roman citizen whom he rescued from the Jewish council as they attacked him over a dispute of their law after he had found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. He's painting himself as the hero. He came in and saved Paul, a Roman citizen. He wrote these statements in his efforts to gain favor with Rome. But God used this greediness in blatant lie to place Paul in a palace where he was given freedom and the ability to speak to the people and to speak with his disciples and to write and to continue to send the gospel forth. If God can use this, what can he do for us? God uses not just whatever is around Paul. He's not just using the basic things that are around Paul to advance the message of the kingdom, not only normal, everyday things, but uses the political rulers and armies that represent the very ones who will later put Paul to death. If God can do this, then how assured should we be that he can use our failures, our rejections, our messes, much less our everyday circumstances, to make more of his kingdom? Thankfully, God is always doing this, whether we notice it or not, whether we are playing a very active role in it or not. He continues this work. Even in the everyday mundane things, God is at work putting his plans together to make himself known more to the people. This is his extraordinary grace to us in our ordinary everyday lives. When you find yourself in a position where it's hard to believe this, take courage. And rest easy knowing that it's never too late to turn back to God and continue walking in his plan for you, for your life, which is to know him and make him known. He is the author and creator of our stories. He uses them to unfold his even grander story, the redemption of the entire world. So if you find yourself here today running away from God because you think he can't handle your mess, that you're too far gone, please know that this simply isn't true. God used foreign hostile armies to send one of his disciples to proclaim the truth of who he is. So he could definitely use your failures. Give your life to him and take courage that he gives us this grace always. And to those of you who trust in him, take courage knowing that no matter how badly you mess up or you seemingly mess up, no matter how bad the odds seem, God is still able to use our every circumstance. They do not surprise him. He was at work in them far before we ever took notice. This passage would have been very different without verse 11 in the middle of it. See Paul, the people screaming his name to rid the earth of him. He goes before the council. They get so heated that the commander has to pull him away. And then you see these men lie in wait to kill him. Bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. 
But verse 11 changes the entire outlook. Not because God all of a sudden showed up, because he had always been there. It would have seemed that Paul was suffering all in vain, but God came and showed how he was always near, how he is always near to us. He says, take courage in him and know that he is still not done unfolding his story until the promised day when he comes again and makes all things new. Take courage and know that Christ is enough for us. Let us pray. Lord, just thank you for this message today and just your word. Lord, I pray that we would see you throughout it. Lord, would we take heart as we know that you are always in control. Lord, that you do not stand far off, but you are perfectly near, that you are with us. Lord, and you give us courage. Lord, this is where we find our courage, in you. Not in things of this world, not in blaming somebody else, not in our experience and knowledge, Lord, that we can be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We can follow the promptings of your spirit, but Lord, oftentimes, Lord, you test us so much, and we are denied no matter where we go despite all of our efforts. So Lord, in those moments, I pray that we would realize that you are God, that you are in control. We would return to you in faith. We return to you and remember that you are at work. So Lord, I pray that we place all our trust in you and that we seek, Jesus, that you are enough, that you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Lord, would we give it to you in everything that we are. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.